0: Hello and welcome to the Tea and Toast podcast, the bi-weekly podcast which focuses on mental health and wellness. On today's show we have Julia Glowinski, owner of Glow Sleep Services. Based in Toronto, Canada, Julia's focus is on the long-term changes and specialises in supporting and improving sleep and reducing anxiety. She is a registered social worker, and specialises in sleep issues in conjunction with mental health. Glow sleep provides a range from sleep education, CBT, consultation and helping to build sleep foundations. Today we'll be talking through why sleep is so important for our wellbeing and some helpful tips for us all during this sensitive time. Thank you, um, Julia, for joining the Tea and Toast podcast. It's great to have you on the show. Sleep is by far one of the most important factors to wellness and can have a real major impact on managing mental health and how it's really imperative to our day to day functioning. So, we'll be walking through that today with Julia. But first, let's kick off and maybe just find out a little bit more about yourself. Tell us about how you became a sleep therapist and how you began your journey of Glow Sleep Services.
1: Yes, hi, thank you. Um, Thanks for having me here today. I am a registered social worker here in Canada and I worked on a psychiatric crisis unit for adolescents for about eight years and while I was there it was very evident a lot of our clients that we had on the unit were not only dealing with a lot of behavioral and psychiatric issues but also sleep issues and it was they would play into each other. Their mental health would affect their sleep and their sleep would affect their mental health. Mm-hmm. And I decided from there to start my private practice dedicated solely to sleep. I also was became even more interested in sleep after having my two children and after my maternity leaves and struggling with their sleep themselves. So I not only work with teens and adults with sleep, but I also became a certified infant and toddler sleep consultant to work with parents on sleep deprivation that they're experiencing with their little babies.
0: And how did you begin um, starting your own business with that? Was that quite challenging? Or did you find that there was a real need for helping people manage their
1: sleep? So I did find that when I started Glow Sleep Services, there was a tremendous need for sleep work for young families. I work with families who are expecting until 11 years old. And then for 12 years old and older, I work actually at a a mental health clinic, specifically focusing on mental health and sleep.
0: And do you find day to day that there's a large percentage or what would you say is the average percentage that
1: are associated with mental health? Well, when it comes to sleep, I feel that mental health is always a big impact mental health always plays a role in our sleep and sleep plays a role in mental health. So I would say that no matter who I'm working with, whether mental health is the cause of the sleep issue Mm. or if the sleep deprivation is causing mental health, mental health always plays a really big role in the work that we do. Mm.
0: It's really interesting because I I definitely feel that if I don't have a good night's sleep, it really impacts my anxiety the next day and especially some of the habits that I create from lack of sleep. So having certain foods or certain drinks to kind of help keep me awake, I guess as well. And it can create that vicious cycle and sleep has always been mentioned as something that really has that impact on our wellness and our mind. What would you say the most important benefits are really for sleep that we may not necessarily be aware
1: of? So one of the most important things that our sleep affects is our biological restorative function. And what that means is that when we're in a deep sleep, our blood is actually directed away from our brains into our muscles. So it actually replenishes muscular energy. And then the other really important thing is that deep sleep actually helps our immune system. And it, it, we combat illness in our sleep, which is so important, especially for now with coronavirus. It is such a big um, factor of why we really need to focus on our sleep at this moment. And then in our dream sleep, that's when we're processing emotional memories. So we don't have to relive them every time we think of them. So we, our sleep actually helps us process what we want to remember. We sleep to remember, and we also sleep to forget that's really interesting. Really interesting. And then on top of that, sleep enhances our concentration and productivity. So it enhances our cognition, our performance and our problem solving skills. You don't make as good decisions. It really helps with our decision making skills. I totally agree with
0: that one. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's really interesting what you say about the sleeping mind and the state of that and that how your mind, I guess, processes things and restores memories and understanding solutions to problems that they might be dwelling on that day
1: we do focus a lot on on nightmares and how to um, solve issues with nightmares there's people have been reporting a lot more dreams lately and bad dreams or nightmares lately because Mm. our dreams happen towards the end of our sleep in our REM sleep and that in the first half of the night we have more deep sleep. The second half of the night, we have more REM sleep. So as a lot of people right now aren't working or they're working from home, so they don't have to have that commute. They get more time to sleep in in the morning mm-hmm. and their minds are very active because there's a lot of anxiety right now in, in the state of the world. My clients are reporting more nightmares and a lot of people are coming to me with uh, very vivid dreams and, and how to how to deal with them because we having more and we notice them more because we're sleeping in longer Mm.
0: it's funny that you say that because I've been having that conversation with a lot of my friends recently where they've had a lot more vivid dreams at the moment or things that have happened that are being heightened through this like you mentioned about the anxiety of things there's a lot more I guess there's a lot more worries so you have a lot more to bring to the table, I guess, when you're asleep and the dreams that you do have or the nightmares that you have, I guess, currently at the moment, when you, when people do come to you, whether it's new clients or existing clients, what are the biggest causes of sleep deprivation or sleeping disorders um, during the current climate?
1: Um, a lot of anxiety, a lot of um, difficulty falling asleep. So racing mind before bed, not being able to shut off from the day especially when we're working from home, that becomes a really big issue where we're on our email all day and then suddenly trying to sleep. Mm. I'm seeing a lot of people struggling with waking up in the middle of the night and not being able to fall back asleep, um, as well as early morning rising. And overall, it's sleep anxiety, just starting to fear sleep, starting to dread sleep because they just are lying awake all night and struggling with it.
0: It's quite scary how much the mind can control something like that when you just, you feel so tired or you, know, you do want to go to sleep and then you concentrate on it so much that actually you're unable to
1: sleep. Absolutely, so we call those negative sleep thoughts. Yeah, so one of the ways to combat that, there's something called cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia and that is a wonderful treatment for insomnia, it's short term, it's very structured and it's actually scientifically proven to be more effective than sleeping pills. The hallmark of insomnia is these negative sleep thoughts. So part of CBTI is what we call it, is focusing on those negative sleep thoughts, recognizing them and replacing them with positive sleep thoughts. So instead of, oh gosh, I'm never going to be able to fall asleep um, and my day tomorrow is going to be ruined because of it. We replace them with things like, well, I always end up falling asleep, even if it takes a long time. I may be tired tomorrow, but I'm still going to be able to push through and things like that. So really focusing on that thought process. Mm-hmm. You're absolutely right. It has a huge effect on our, on our sleep.
0: It's a really interesting CBT for sleep because um, I myself have gone through CBT, but I didn't actually know there was CBT specific to sleep. Is that something that's becoming a lot more popular these days? And also has there been um, a lot more for a need, I guess, to journal your sleep patterns during this time as well?
1: Yes, I feel that CBTI is becoming more popular, which is great because there's such a need for it. I mean, we spend a third of our lives sleeping and Mm -hmm. most of us aren't very good at it. And I mean, sleep issues are one of the most common reasons for going to your doctor. Physicians see so much of it. And sometimes they don't really know what to do with it. And it just becomes, okay, here's a sleeping pill. CBTI actually is long lasting. And it's really focusing on the root cause of sleep deprivation. So we do see a lot of it right now, absolutely. And it really helps us to process right now what is going on, where our thoughts are at when it comes to sleep. Because clearly when we are anxious, one of the first things to happen is that we have poor sleep. And when we have poor sleep, unfortunately that results in the first thing is is, um, poor mood. Mm -hmm. and decrease in our mental health. How many hours of sleep do our bodies and mind actually need
0: to function effectively? There's a lot of things flying around the internet, but how many hours would you say is the best um, for our mind and our wellness?
1: So we definitely need less sleep as we age. Teens need about nine to 11 hours of sleep. And of course there's always a range. Adults are in the range of seven to nine hours. And of course there are some outliers, but many studies show that seven hours is ideal while others shows that show that eight hours is ideal. So the younger we are, the more sleep we need. And that's because there's so much more processing, there's more development. So anywhere from infants and toddlers would need anywhere from 13 to 18 hours or 10 to 13 for um, three to five-year-olds Children who are 6 to 13 need about 9 to 11 hours of sleep. Then again, teens need 8 to 10 hours. And adults need um, anywhere from 7 to 9 hours. And from our 30s to our 60s, our deep sleep actually decreases 2% per decade. Oh, wow. So our deep sleep decreases. So that's why as we age, we generally have more sleep problems. And we also wake up earlier in the morning as well.
0: Yeah, I can totally understand that. Naturally we'll get up early. Even if it is the weekend, you just even if you're just lying in bed, your mind gets up at the same time
1: most days because it's so used to a routine. Absolutely. And what's what's fascinating is that for teens the circadian rhythm is actually pushed back. So teens want to go to bed later and wake up later. Mm -hmm. And then as we start aging, that circadian rhythm gets pushed back the opposite way and we keep waking up earlier and earlier which is why our grandparents go to bed really early and they wake up around 5 a.m., 4.30 a.m. and have much difficulty falling back asleep.
0: I guess your grandparents are exactly the same as mine, then that they get up early, <laughs> same routine. We'll go down to the shop to get a newspaper, even if it is bright and early in the morning. So by the time you wake up, they've already had their breakfast and started their day. <laughs> like Exactly, exactly. But what are some of the things that help with getting into that routine of going to bed and finding a much better way of unwinding before bed? I think a lot of us, especially now, have found different coping mechanisms and they're pivoting to different ways of, of sleeping. I know you mentioned before about screens and pressure of time going to sleep and the distractions. Sometimes our mind just, it just can't switch off.
1: So the first thing I would say is to find a way to process our emotions and our stress during the day or throughout the day so that when we get into bed, that's not our time to process. Many of us, if we just were on go, go, go mode, right? And then all of a sudden it's time for bed, we get into bed, and that's when the first time that we've actually had a chance to slow down, process our minds race, we start ruminating. What should I have done during the day? What did I say that I shouldn't have said? What happened over that Zoom meeting? What do I have to do tomorrow? And then we get in the cycle where all of a sudden our cortisol levels rise, our stress hormone, and it's just impossible to come down from that in asleep. So what we wanna do is find a way to process that during the day, whether that is using mindfulness, so some sort of meditation or breathing exercise, chatting with a friend to process chatting with a partner to process and really go over that what we've experienced during the day journaling can be really helpful as well but finding some way to separate the day from the night another way to separate the day from the night is to have a very structured and consistent and predictable routine so we all know about routines for babies and how important that is for before bed, having a um, very consistent routine, but it's the same for us. We want to implement our own routine, whether that's washing up and then reading for 15 minutes or whatever it is, we want to do the same thing every day. So what we're doing is we're cueing our minds that it's time to shut down and we're cueing our bodies for sleep. And we want to do that in dim light so that we're sending a message to our brain to produce melatonin, our sleep hormone that it's time for sleep, the day is done, it's time to shut off. Speaking of that melatonin, light and dark is so important for sleep. What happens is when we're using our screens before bed, for watching TV or on our phones, we're sending a message to our brain that it's daytime. That blue light shuts off melatonin. It inhibits melatonin from being produced so that when we get into bed, our bodies still feel like it's daytime. So what we want to do is shut off those screens at least an hour before bed, so that when we get into bed, already our melatonin is being produced, which means our temperature can drop that one or two degrees, which is what we want it to do overnight. And we're able to fall asleep and stay asleep.
0: It does make such a difference. I was seeing everywhere about the blue light glasses, and all of the different ways to help control that. And I didn't quite realize that it not only impacts during the day, but it helps our mind, I guess, like you said, to prepare for for the nighttime. I have definitely got myself into a routine and if I am out of sync with that, and, and during this whole lockdown, I definitely felt like I had to create a new routine um, with everything that blue light part is actually really interesting. Is that something that you've seen um, when you first were studying as something that was discussed at that time or has it just become something that's more common these days? Because it's definitely something that I've seen a lot more on Instagram that I hadn't been exposed
1: to before with the um, mentioning of blue light with sleep. I think it's always been known, but it's become more discussed now that there are some solutions like blue light blocking glasses Mm. um, and things like that. But there's been a ton of research in the past to show that even there's been um, in a town where on one side there was electricity and on another, I think it was in Mexico and another town, another side of the road, there was no electricity. So those with electricity actually did poor in school because they were staying up late and then they weren't able to concentrate as well during the day versus those who didn't, they were following more of the natural circadian rhythm that they actually had better sleep and in that sense did better in school, which is just, it shows the impact. It really does on Mm. our bodies aren't meant to have this blue light lasting so long, right? Until we go to sleep. But of course it's not realistic for so many people to shut it off an hour before bed. In, in that case, I would say even a half an hour, do as much as you can. If you can't follow the, the rule to a T, at least do as much as you can. A few minutes, 15 minutes, a half an hour is better than nothing.
0: Definitely. about My blue glasses are, yeah, they're, they're not the nicest looking glasses, but they're yeah. definitely good to have <laughs> before going to bed. I was just, it does make a difference. And I think if you can have something that is a solution to reducing that blue light, whether it's if you are having something like the blue light glasses, or if you can reduce that screen time before bed and mm-hmm. y- You mentioned about insomnia. What would you say actually is insomnia
1: and why is it on such a rise? So insomnia is when we have difficulty falling asleep or staying asleep. So the criteria for a diagnosis is usually if it takes us longer than 30 minutes to fall asleep for more than um, three times a week, lasting for three weeks or more. Or during the night, if we wake up and we're awake for that 30 minutes in the same criteria. And the other element is that if it's affecting our daily life. So some people can take 40 minutes, let's say, to fall asleep, and they're totally fine. It's not affecting them. That may not meet meet the criteria for insomnia. But in general, there's sleep onset insomnia, when we have difficulty falling asleep, and sleep maintenance insomnia, when we have difficulty staying asleep. So a lot of people think that, oh, I don't have insomnia because I I fall asleep as soon as I get into bed. It's just that I'm up in the middle of the night. That still could be insomnia. It's on the rise right now because of the huge correlation between stress and sleep. So the more stressed we are, the the more likely we are to have insomnia, as well as screen time and uh, just our busy lifestyle. It's, it's very difficult to really maintain this go, go, go mentality. And there's so much pressure on us, especially in a, in the workplace, to be on all the time, to always be attached to our phone, to our email, to be available. It's really hard for us to shut down at the end of the day like we used to be able
0: to. With the new way of working, it does feel like you have to always be to your employer be able to be contacted no matter what time that is and the yeah. normality of working has really changed when we're in the office we often have that time away from our screens and I think there becomes more of a, a fear of how quickly you can reply to a message or an email or any of that stuff so I, I definitely understand that and I think insomnia has always been something that like you said it's always been linked to oh I can't go to sleep but actually like you mentioned, there's other routes too. that if you are waking up in the middle of the night and you can't go back to sleep, we've mentioned some of the, the impacts on, on sleep with regards to sort of day-to-day and wellness. What other impacts would you say are the biggest ones when we do have that lack of sleep?
1: So there's a huge impact on our health, but there's actually from a safety perspective, our reaction times are poor, which has a huge impact when we're driving Research shows that almost 20% of all car crash accidents and injuries are actually associated with sleepiness. Oh gosh, that's a large amount. It is a lot. On top of that, our decision-making, like we talked about, and um, our cognition is not as good when we're sleeping. So there's actually been over 100,000 deaths um, attributed to medical errors due to sleep deprivation as well, which is just shocking. Yeah. On top of that, um, one of the the risks is obesity. So three to 5% of obesity is actually due to sleep deprivation. And that's because of the hormones when we're sleeping. So we have an increase in our hunger hormone and a decrease in leptin, which is the hormone that makes us feel full. But mm. besides that, there's a higher risk of cancer diagnosis when we're not getting enough sleep as well as heart disease, heart attacks. Um, we have a regular heartbeat sometimes a higher risk when we're not sleeping well, a higher risk of blood, high blood pressure, stroke, In fact, 90% of people with insomnia actually have another health condition. That would cover the the impact on our our physical health, but then in terms of mental health, and we touched on this a little bit, that the risk of psychiatric distress increases by 14% for every hour of sleep that we lose. So sleep is very strongly correlated with depressed mood, anxiety, risky behaviors, emotional instability, and on top of that we are less productive so it's a huge impact it has a huge impact on the work we do in our careers because we're less creative it impairs our thinking we have trouble concentrating and there's also even a higher imp- a higher rate of substance abuse amongst those who have difficulty sleeping so it really is all-encompassing it affects every aspect of our daily life it's actually quite when when you've gone through those
0: stats to think how much it actually touches on and, and impacts us quite often we don't actually realize the value that we need asleep and the um, mental health part. So you mentioned thoughts and, and being able to switch off that, that does happen quite a lot if you are stressed or you are anxious and it is almost like a vicious circle. What are some good routines and some best practices that people can inhabit to help reduce the anxiety and have a good night's sleep so
1: one of the things that is so important for our mental health and also for our sleep is is physical exercise so trying to get out trying to get fresh air for 30 minutes a day even even going for a 30 minute walk can definitely have an impact on our mental health and on our sleep in fact the best time to do this is first thing in the morning Again, it helps shut off that melatonin. So it gets our body into a routine, which makes it easier to fall asleep at night. So I would say that that is very important as well as what we eat. We want to make sure that we're having a balanced diet because that is so important for our mental health as well and our sleep. Mm -hmm. So protein before bed is really important. Making sure we're eating in the morning. Also set that circadian rhythm up. And we've touched upon mindfulness. Mindfulness. So figuring out something that works for you. Now, in terms of meditation, while it is so important and has such amazing impacts on our, our bodies and our minds, it, it, certain meditations or certain breathing exercises may not feel good for everyone. So it's really about finding a, a meditation or a practice that feels right for you, that helps you actually feel calm. Mm-hmm. Doing that during the day So that we associate it with being calm and then start doing it at night before bed. Once it already symbolizes and represents to us something that is calm, bringing that to bed would be really helpful as well. Mm -hmm. So one of them that I like, for example, to help calm down is to imagine breathing in a color and on every inhale, imagine this color entering our bodies, color that is calm for us. And then on every exhale, imagining a color that is everything that we don't need and all of the negative thoughts and negativity in our body. So I like to breathe in blue and I breathe out gray, like an exhaust pipe. So that can be really helpful, that imagery, to reduce anxiety. And we all can also practice that before bed.
0: I love that. I love the breathing in the color and exhaling a color. I think that's a nice image that you can have in your head, that when you are me- meditating or whatever way calms you. And also, it's really interesting you mentioned about the protein
1: aspect and the importance of protein with sleep. The reason that that we want protein before bed is because protein contains an amino acid called tryptophan. And tryptophan is what's in turkey, which is why when we have turkey, sometimes we feel really tired after. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) Christmas dinner. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. So a tryptophan, especially when eaten with a carb, carb helps it absorb into our body. It turns into serotonin, which is our calming hormone, and then in another step, it turns into melatonin, which is our sleep hormone. So having protein before bed can actually help us fall asleep and stay asleep. In fact, tryptophan is even prescribed at at the children's sleep clinic where I do work at. It's prescribed in a pharmaceutical form to children instead of a sleeping pill. Decrease our caffeine intake as well. Yes.
0: It's, it's so, that's one thing I've really found impacts my anxiety is caffeine. It's one of the things that I, I try to balance out. I love a cup of coffee and I feel like I depend on it a lot more when I've had less sleep. I tend to have now
1: more, a lot more like a nice herbal tea. Absolutely. Absolutely. And tea can be so calming as long as there's no caffeine in it. Tea would be great before bed. And also a lot of people recommend having milk before bed. Because again, milk has both that protein and that carb, not only for children, for adults as well. I do love a cup of milk.
0: A cup of milk with some cookies. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not before bed, but, but during the day. <laughs> exactly.
1: Exactly. So when it
0: comes to Glow Sleep Service, what are some of the reasons that people might work with Glow Sleep Services to and what was the need for a sleep therapist?
1: So definitely lots of anxiety as we've covered, sleep anxiety, lots of worries about their sleep. A lot of people are worried that they're not getting enough sleep. They're not meeting that, that, that range for healthy sleep. Their children are anxious. a lot of separation anxiety, not being able to separate at nighttime, not wanting to sleep alone, not being able to sleep through the night difficulty with that quality of sleep. So a lot of people, want to see a sleep therapist, because even though they are getting enough hours of sleep overnight, they're not necessarily feeling refreshed in the morning, and they're feeling tired throughout the day and not as productive, like they're going through the day in a fog. Mm. And a lot of that might be due to their sleep quality. So for some reason, the quality of their sleep isn't as good. Perhaps it's due to their sleep environment. Breathing difficulty in their sleep, which is more serious than we think it is. It has a huge impact on our sleep quality as well as our health and our heart. So yeah, basically the hours of their sleep or their fatigue throughout the day. And what's interesting is, do you know what the most sleep-deprived country is? Oh no, is it the UK? It is the UK. Really? The UK, yeah. Is, the, is a recent study showed that the UK is the most sleep-deprived country. So. Um, the sleep therapist in the UK would actually be having a lot of business right now. Ireland uh, is the second. Really? And I'm in Canada. Canada and the US are tied for three. Wow. Three, yeah. That
0: and it's, is it's, worrying.
1: It is worrying. And it also costs the economy so much money. In Canada alone, and we're number three, it costs $21 billion a year.
0: Wow. Deprivation.
1: So I can only imagine
0: what the you- <laughs>
1: UK the UK absolutely so those sleep therapists in the UK must be very busy.
0: I was gonna say with everything that's going on do you feel like you've had an increase in the amount of clientele that you've had during this and has there been a lot more anxiety around the pandemic the new way of working the economy and the health at the moment? Absolutely
1: it has been um, much busier I've been seeing a lot more adults struggling with getting to sleep, worrying before bed. There's so much uncertainty. There's so much uncertainty right now and so much anxiety. And it's really hard for us to get our bodies and our minds in a state of just turning it all off before bed. So yes, it has been much more significant right now. And I think people are also, I mean, the study of sleep is quite new. People are only starting to realize and become worried about, the, the impact we ha- it has on our bodies when we're not getting enough sleep. Mm-hmm. We also have more time to focus on it now that we're home. Everything is um, that we're experiencing, it's like there's a hyper-focus on it because mm-hmm. we don't have much going on. We can't really go out and like have our daily lives of just going out and going to work and all of these things. So we're focused much more on our thoughts and our feelings and our sleep and our health. People are using lockdown as a way to
0: reset maybe some of the unhealthy habits that we do have and I think sleep has become something that you really understand the benefit of sleeping and that need for that so I can imagine if people are really struggling with that right now there is the need for sleep therapy more than ever and like you mentioned with the anxieties of everything that's going on but also most interestingly about um separation when you're when you're sleeping like how to create that routine during this time when you do have young children must be really difficult because routines have changed people are still at home or working later and having to go through that has there been more questions around children during this time how to keep that routine for them if they're not going to schools or if they're not at nurseries during the day has that been something that's increased a lot more
1: as well as the anxiety with the pandemic? There has been and I think that people were very, people with young kids were very intent on keeping a set structure and routine at the beginning for the Mm -hmm. first month or so, maybe even the first two months. And now that it's been going on and on and it's summertime here, there's been definitely like, people are more lax about a routine and structure, which is totally fine, we are too. It's very difficult during the day. But I would say, even if things during the day aren't set, and and consistent the most important thing is just that half an hour before bed keeping that part consistent because the predictability of bedtime is so important Mm. so really just having a a focus on that and even if our the timing of our sleep gets pushed back for our children so even if they're going to bed later um so sometimes we want to rush through bedtime let them go to bed that extra half an hour later so that they get that half hour routine in which is so important i would say yes the timing of sleep is very important but even more so is the routine
0: behind Mm. it alongside the extra half an hour what are some other things that parents can have to help their children and themselves get to bed has there been more of a need for i always remember story time that was always the sign of bed (laughs) are there other helpful tips like that for people that do have children that have to With times, like you mentioned, it might be pushed back a little bit later, are there signals that can help parents to signify to the child that right now is bedtime, it's time to unwind, which may be slightly more hectic during this time with everything going on?
1: Yes. So we definitely want to create a sleep environment that is conducive to sleep. So you can picture it as when you go into a yoga class. It's quiet. Your voices are quiet when you go in. Sometimes there's soft music playing it's dim light, it's like this whole different environment. And that's what we want when we go into our kids' bedroom. So we wanna create this potentially either white noise or ocean wave sound or soft music playing, the music not throughout the night, but just during bedtime routine if you want. But we wanna create this like ambiance of calm and winding down. So definitely dim light, like we talked about from melatonin, quieter voices, really trying to calm our children down and then yes structure in terms of reading a book having a a quiet chit chat maybe if that helps your child sometimes if they're really young like a song before bed can help signify sleep so they know what's coming extra cuddles before bed can be really nice but anything that really helps our child to um, feel safe and cozy in their room so one of the most important things is making sure that bedtime routine is in their room not in parents room a lot of the time, especially if you have more than one child, everyone kind of piles into the parent's bed, have this whole cozy time in their room, and then, okay, everyone go off to bed. Created this very calm and cozy environment that it's not in their own room that they want to stay in all night, which often, mm-hmm. often leads to them coming into the parent's room in the night. So, making sure that that bedtime routine is actually in their room can be really helpful as well. Mm-hmm. And I would say also, if you have a child who is fearful, of staying in their room or wants you with them at night, what can be helpful during that transition of bedtime is turning off the light and already once the light is off, then staying a couple more minutes, perhaps, like I said, doing a song or telling them a story so that not everything's happening at once, like lights out and leave, that they Mm -hmm. have some experience in their room that Mm -hmm. is nice and, and calming for them as well. Gosh, I bet your
0: children love sleep in your house. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds very calming. <laughs>
1: we do love our sleep. <laughs> I that can help during this time, especially with night fears, there's so much uncertainty, and the truth is, our kids feel it. They mm. feel everything that's happening, even if they don't understand what's going on. They know that things are different and that we are more overwhelmed with everything. I always recommend playing in our room. So you asked about adults as well. Mm -hmm. For adults, we don't want to spend more than a half an hour in our beds watching TV or reading or doing anything because we want to associate our bedrooms with sleep, right? Mm -hmm. For kids, I want them to associate their room with mom or dad or positive memories and feeling much love in their room and and safe in their room, especially if they have this fear of monsters or fear of someone breaking in or anything like that. So I actually recommend playing with them during the day in their room so that it already represents a safe place and a happy place so that when they go to bed, it's not kind of a shock to their system, but that they're used to that place and they like it. It's really interesting to hear about
0: how to create that routine in that, that room. You also touched upon... For adults, that's something that I think I struggle with. I, I have a TV in my room. Sometimes I'll relax in there. So then I've actually definitely found it a lot more difficult going to sleep during COVID because that's kind of my safe space or my relaxation space. So then it does into time of sleep. And I do find myself switching off a lot, lot later, I think, because of that. Are there some things then similar to that? that should be best practices for adults to disassociate relaxing in their room versus going into another room and having that space for sleep? Yeah, so if we
1: can try and create some sort of comforting little nook in our house or something instead of being in our room, that is ideal. Not everyone has that luxury. So if we're in a one bedroom and that is our place, I would say even if we can not to be on our bed so that our bed is associated with sleep, that would be helpful as well. And again, not all of us have that luxury. But trying to create some separation, if we can't and that is our place to be and we're in our bed, working in our bed or watching TV in our bed during the day, even having some time before bed that we're not in our in our room would be really helpful. But I think one of the main things to combat that is something called the thirty thirty rule. And that is if you are lying in bed and you can't fall asleep at night, whether this is at the onset of sleep or if it's in the middle of the night, you would wait about 20 to 30 minutes. If it's been 20 20 to 30 minutes of not being able to fall asleep, you would actually want to get up and leave the space because we don't want to associate our bed with the anxiety of not falling asleep. And we don't want to associate it with being awake we want our bed to be for when we're sleeping. So you'd get up, you'd go do something relaxing for another 20 to 30 minutes. And only when we're drowsy, would you come back to bed and try again. And you'd repeat that until you could fall asleep. So it would be much more tiring to do that in the first few nights. But ultimately, it would be helpful because you'd only be sleeping in your bed, You wouldn't be lying awake for hours. We don't want that. So we don't want to associate our, our beds with that anxiety of not being able to sleep. I like that, the 30-30 rule, yeah, I should definitely is, try it that. Great. It <laughs> is great, so we don't want to get up and start having coffee or anything like that. Anymore. Yeah, we're keeping the environment in low light again so that we're telling our body it's still nighttime, but we do want to take that break from sleeping the same way that if we're studying and we can't concentrate or we're working, get up, we'd have a bit of a walk around and you'd come back and try and refocus creating comforts and having
0: the little nooks in the house and having low lighting. And it's something that I've tried to do more so with candles and the salt lamp to try and help with sleep because I think it really does make a difference like you were saying about the tone of your voice before going to sleep, having exercise and really relaxing the mind and the body so that it does feel in that drowsy state as opposed to being super alert with lots of lights Are there any tips that you'd provide for people such as myself that are currently on furlough, who are now more outside of the whole normal day-to-day routine, not having something like work or something to keep your mind active,
1: can be quite difficult. I think the most important thing would be to know that sleep actually starts, sleep health starts in the morning. It's not right when we go to bed, it's first thing in the morning to set our circadian rhythm. The most important thing is to get up at the same time every day even more so than going to bed at the same time every day we want to wake up and the first thing we want to do is expose ourselves to bright light ideally natural light for about 20 minutes and eat something during the day both of those things will actually help set our circadian rhythm our internal body clock and prepare us for the day if we do that every day we're going to be more tired by the time nighttime comes along. So if let's say we sleep until noon, whoever gets to, I envy (laughs) you, but sleep until noon, by the time 10 o'clock comes around, we've only been up for 10 hours. There's not enough sleep pressure built up. So even though we're at home and maybe we're not so motivated to get up in the morning, keeping that time very consistent is helpful so that we have enough sleep pressure built up throughout the day and we've expended enough energy throughout the day so that when our bedtime comes, we're actually tired enough to fall asleep, there's enough pressure. That would be one of the biggest tips I would say, as well as trying to have some structure throughout our day, making sure that you're getting out of the house, if you can, if that's in accordance with the, the rules of where you're living. Trying to have some sort of, of connecting with people. Like I said, we wanna process what's going on with someone feeling connected to people is really important and trying to maintain some sense of of normalcy during this time that is not normal at all one of the final
0: questions that i have for you is education and educating ourselves to sleep what are some of the things that people can listen to or is there any literature to help people to learn about the importance of
1: sleep yes yeah, so um one of my favorite books is matthew walker's while why we sleep um that would be an amazing book to read i think that that's a great introduction and he just covers so much in terms of the importance of sleep i think that would be a really good book that i would recommend as well as getting to know your own sleep patterns so the literature is really important yes as well as tracking your sleep knowing when you feel best based on how much sleep you've had is also very important. So as much as we want to learn about the importance of sleep and really read up on it and all of the benefits, we also want to get to know our own bodies and figure out for us what is our optimal sleep total, um, the environment where we're getting optimal sleep and really focus on our own well-being. What helps us to shut down at the end of the day What helps us to feel less anxious when we're trying to sleep? When are the days that we have a shorter sleep onset latency? So really tracking our own sleep can be really helpful, not to a point that we become obsessed with it and have too much focus on it that it causes anxiety, but just some sort of structure so that we're able to to get that optimal ideal sleep.
0: Has it almost turned into that when you speak to people day to day that they have to maintain some sort of record or journal to help with the consultation with sleeping?
1: Absolutely. When I work with my my teen and my adult clients, I do keep sleep logs, which is really important to figure out their sleep efficiency, which is how much time they're in they're actually sleeping versus how much time they're in their bed we also want to track what time they're going to bed and getting up and how long their night wakings are so that is really important we do want to make sure that there's even some work that we do where we limit how much time they're in bed so to increase their sleep efficiency so that they get used to the fact that when they're in bed they're sleeping sometimes that means actually restricting sleep So instead of being in bed for 10 hours, I'm going to say only be in bed for six hours because you're only sleeping four hours a night and then slowly increasing the time they're in bed as their sleep efficiency increases. It gets that six hours and then their body wants more
0: to Mm -hmm. have and maintain that level of sleep.
1: Exactly. Because sometimes if you have a bad night and you're overtired, the next day you're going to say, oh, you know what? I'm getting into bed at eight Mm o'clock, but I can fall asleep at 10 because it takes me two hours. But that means we're getting into bed when we're not tired. And we're yeah. still, it's, it's not increasing our sleep efficiency, we, which we wanted about an 85%. Mm-hmm. We want to restrict the time we're in bed, not increase it.
0: Thank you so much. I think there's a lot of things here that everybody's had issues of falling asleep at the moment. There's a lot that you mentioned about adults, about children, about how it impacts our health in all aspects. And there's a lot of advice that you've covered that helps. in a a more sustainable way i think people think they have to make massive changes and life-altering decisions to help with their sleep but there are smaller steps which which can really have a greater impact so thank you so much for joining me today and for going through all of that i hope that from this i will be sleeping like a baby tonight
1: (laughs) i hope so too thank you so much for having me
0: Thank you for listening to this week's Tea and Toast podcast. If you want to share any feedback or ask any questions, don't forget to follow, like, and share via Instagram at Tea and ToastThePodcast. And don't forget to subscribe!